Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Season 2, Episode 13. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you're an author needing to polish your book before you launch it, or you need coaching and help to launch your staggering work of genius, check out the services at BookLaunchMentor.com. Today, I'm welcoming Jennifer Camp to the Restory Show. I'm really excited to share her story with you, and I'm going to let her share her story with you. But what I love about her story is that she freely walks through some dark times with us on the podcast, and yet comes through on the other side with a new perspective. And I do pray that um, her words would be a deep uh, sense of encouragement to you today. So without further ado, here is Jennifer Camp. Hey everyone, it's Mary Demuth at The Restory Show, and I have Jennifer Camp with me here today. I'm really excited to talk with her. She's got a great story, and she's got a really great heart, and she's very enthusiastic, and I'm really excited for you to hear her story. So Jennifer, thanks so much for coming on today. Hi, Mary. Thanks for having me. How is the uh, sunlight there? You're in California, right? Yes. But it actually feels like fall. Like, I don't know if I'm just noticing it more than other years, but there are actual trees that are red and orange and yellow. And I don't know. I just, I need that beauty. We're live, we're going through a house remodel and we're out of our house. And I think I'm, I'm outdoors and I'm soaking up all of the, the beauty. I just need it. So, cause we're kind of, our life is chaotic right now. So. Oh, that is the most stressful thing ever. I hate that. So you are restoring your house. Yes, we are. <laughs> giving it a yes. new story, new paint. Well, in Texas, it just happens to be that we have green trees until about December 4th and then everything turns brown and falls off. So there's usually no color at all. So you have to be ready for that. <laughs> exactly. And then in February, it turns green again. So it's like, whoa, that was the fastest winter ever different than where I grew up in Seattle. I've only been to Texas a couple of times and it's been in the fall. It was beautiful. Yeah. Very nice. Like good degrees and all that. It's not 110 degrees. So it's really nice. So let's talk a little bit about your story and share with the listeners uh, how you grew up. And then I know a bit of your story already because I'm a creeper. So I know that some pretty big things happened in high school. So go ahead and lead us up until that point and tell us what happened. Sure. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a little farming town in Northern California. My dad was a farmer. My mom's a teacher's aide. Totally simple, sweet childhood, oldest of five. Um, quiet town. My grandfather was a town doctor. He just like delivered half the kids I went to school with. It was just really sweet. But I think it wasn't until I didn't appreciate the sweetness then. You know, I was just visiting my, my mom. I totally, I was visiting her. Um, just the other day, because my daughter didn't have, she had a day off from school. And so we went, we walked to the orchard and saw the almond trees. And it was just so good. And I'm so glad I grew up there. But when I was a kid, I just wanted to get out, mm-hmm. just get me out of here. And so I did that when I went to college and ended up and went to LA and met my husband there. And then we lived in New York for a while and we came back. Now we're in the Bay Area. And so 
it was just like, I'm so glad I grew up like that. But since then, it's just been a lot of my story has been one of just trying to run away from all of that wonderfulness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you had a good childhood, but when adolescence hit, you kind of battled some insecurities and stuff. So let us know a little bit more about that. I think we all do, but. <laughs> really? You did too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Gosh, you know, my, it's so interesting that time in my life, I guess we all have those moments of like of our past that we, that we don't wish, like we, we don't want to relive. And my, I was um, anxious. I went to my son's back to school night a few weeks ago and uh, he's a freshman in high school and it was so stressful. I think it just brought back all those memories of being in high school. But so for me, I just was never comfortable in my own skin. I was a shy kid, but I didn't know that was okay. I was quiet and I thought it wasn't okay to be quiet. And so with that, I took on just trying to be someone new every year and I failed every year. Like I tried to do with my clothes. I did a good job of that. I Like in terms of my appearance and how things looked, worked hard with my grades, but I just never was comfortable socially. And so what I did is I started, I think in middle school, seventh grade, I started using boys as crutches. They were my social crutch. They were how I would get through a dance, a party. Like, how am I, this thing's coming up. How am I going to get through it? Who will I hang out with? Who will I be with at lunch? And the girls just seemed too hard to navigate. But it was a small, really small town. So there just weren't that many, there there just weren't that many choices with friends also. It's kind of like the same people. And so I just started down that road And so then those boyfriends became even more where I didn't feel like my ideas were enough, but I found out that I had power in kind of romantic situations and I could be the boss of that stuff. So that started a whole new thing. (laughs) A whole new world. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so you were looking for your security and what others thought of you, particularly boyfriends. So were you someone who had to have a boyfriend or were you okay when you didn't have one or were you always searching for one? How did that work? You know, I, it was crazy. Like I didn't allow myself to have the space of emptiness. Like if I saw that one wasn't going to work, like I was already planning the next one. Mm -hmm. And it's just an awful way to treat people. Just an awful way to just not. And so some of those relationships were people that I wish I just were able, I never, I could, my, these friends, they were friends of mine, but because I didn't know how to, I was insecure enough to just maintain that friendship, I would just take it to a different place. And so some of my deepest regrets are just like, wow, that, that loss that happens when we go to a different level of relationship that's not supposed to go there. And so I never allowed myself to not have a boyfriend. Ever. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. And so as your high school career progressed and you went from boyfriend to boyfriend, uh, you wrote a piece that you sent me that was beautifully written about an orchard and an experience. So why don't you share a little bit about that? So when I was a junior in high school, it was Christmas time. To back up a little bit, when I was a sophomore, I decided that not only was good to have a boyfriend, but I sought out the guy who was the most, he was the most secure. And so he was the guy, he was tall, he's athletic. He was on the varsity of the basketball team, even though he's a sophomore. And I'm like, that one, that one, that, that guy will work. So I, um, I was in a relationship with him from sophomore to the next following year, my junior year of high school. And I find out that I am pregnant. Mm. Um, 
I did not tell anybody but him. It was, I look back at that and I just, I think if I had told anybody, if I had told somebody beyond him, things would have shifted very much. But it was just so frightening to find, I'd worked so hard to create an image that I had decided meant success and meant that I was accepted. And so what this represented for me, the pregnancy, it wasn't so much that there was a baby. It was like, I'm going to mess this all up. Like this is messing up this image that I created that was more important to me than anything else. That was it. And that was, I wasn't willing to let that go. And so my boyfriend became like, for me, it was just like, you're my hero because he, only because he was going to keep the secret with me. So we went, told my mom I was going Christmas shopping with him in Sacramento, you know, an hour away. His, he got the money from his sister and um, we went and it was so interesting, like being in that, also the counseling. So where I went. If they had also just paused, if they had not to stay any blame, because I probably would have just, I was a train headed in one direction and I would have kept going that direction. But I wonder what it would have been like to just have had the opportunity to, to think about what this, what I was really doing that, you know, just to, you know, cause I was 16. I had, my world was this little thing that I created and I couldn't see beyond it. And so to think that there's a, a life that I was saying no to, I wonder what I would have done. I probably would have just continued to do it. But so I just continued that secret. So I remember it was so interesting. I came back and I, right after Christmas, so I did it right before Christmas. We were able to get it done. Then after Christmas, it's basketball season. And I, I'm like, gotta go to practice. And I just remember feeling so relieved. It's just like, it's just so strange. I remember, I'm, I remember just feeling, oh, I'm free. I'm done. Like, yay, no one found out. Like, no one knows and it's all good and I can move on. So what was interesting is that before I made that decision to, to have the abortion and the reason the story I talk about almond trees is because right a couple, um, the week before I had made the decision to do it, but I hadn't done it yet. And I hadn't told anybody. My mom was taking me home from a basketball game. And it was late at night, like 1030. I still just had my uniform on. And it was when I just felt the weight of just the, the fear of the possibility of people finding out. And she parks into the driveway. And I just run out of the car and I run and run into the orchard. And I just laid on the ground and yes, it's in California, December. It's really not that cold. Right. Yeah, it's not. I wasn't going to freeze to death, but I convinced myself that I am totally going to freeze out here. Like I, I remember being in that place and and thinking like something's going to die. It's either going to be this baby or it's going to be this me, like what I, this life I created for myself. And I couldn't imagine me killing that. I remember just laying out there and just, you're so self-focused as that, at that age. And I'm like, so dramatic, like, I'm going to freeze. Maybe I'll just freeze out here and it'll all be, you know, that's taken care of. But um, in that story, what I share, it was so good for me to do it. You know, in writing, I don't know what I would do if I weren't forced to put things into words. Like, Mary, I know that you've, I'm sure you've, talked about your process of sharing some of your stories and what that's like and how to make sense of it all. But I wrote that just five years ago 
talking about just two years before that, I kept the secret for, for two decades from, um, I told, I told my husband at that point, but the almond orchard represented for me of just Jesus was, um, he took me back to that place in that moment and showing me just how he was there, like in that moment where I made that decision to have the abortion and loving me through the whole thing. That just undoes me when I think about that. So, And so you, you went to college, you met your husband, and uh, what was it about him that attracted you to him or what were you still did you still have a huge hole in your heart had you met Christ at this point where were you in that story it's so cool that uh a year before I met Justin my husband we had both transferred to this big school in in LA and I was on I had not for the first year before he transferred there um, I was on my own, a new school, didn't know anybody, and I got involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I had grown up thinking I believed in God. I had grown up just feeling like yeah, going to church, going to Sunday school, loving it, soaking it all up. But when I had made that choice to kind of be sexually active, I just kind of decided, well, you must be done with me now. So it was kind of like that relationship. I'd pushed it away. So when I went back to college, when I went to college and was involved with these people who they had this love for God that I had never seen before. It was just like, what is going on? Like they're talking to Jesus like he's their friend and they know him. And it was this wild. And so there was something in me. It was like, I there's some I want this. It was so attractive. I just was absolutely captivated by it. And so I went to a retreat my first year there, and it was on Catalina Island. And I'd never experienced it, done any kind of retreat like this before. And I'd never told anyone yet about the abortion. And then this room where they had this time of worship, I'll never forget. We were just standing up and I'd never, the church I went to is very stiff and you don't raise your hands and you certainly don't you stand there and you sing, you know, hymns and it's beautiful, but I'd never known there was another way to express your worship to God. And then I just kind of let go and I let myself just kind of be present in that with song and with movement. And then there's a point where they just said, if there's anyone who'd like to just come up and receive prayer. And I'm like, whoa, I've never done that. And I just, I don't know, I just went up and I felt just hot. My heart was beating so fast. And I just, something compelled me. It was the Holy Spirit, totally, but I didn't know that then. And I went up. And the person who was offering to pray, what happened to be my Bible study leader in my dorm. And, and all of a sudden, I am telling her. I'm telling her what I've never said to anybody before. And something broke open. And I remember I went back and I just felt him on me. I felt God. I went back to my seat where people were continuing to worship. And I'm like, I knew him for the first time. And it was finally like the, just that, that weight that I didn't know I was carrying was finally just gone. And so that's when I, I realized just the, the danger of silence. It's just how destructive that is, not only to relationships, but to our heart, just like we just, if we continue to bury that. And so when I met Justin, I had, I had said that I told her, I told in prayer, I told my Bible study leader. And so when I met him and you asked me what attracted me to Justin, it was his confidence 
like he was everything I wasn't. He was seeing if he wanted to go into politics. He had an internship with the White House. So he was just like, Mr. He, he hates all this now, by the way. It's so funny because he's like, you know, he, he's not doing anything like this now. But um, he just thought he knew everything. And I, you look back and it seems he probably described himself as cocky and arrogant mm-hmm. and whatever. But I was captivated by his confidence and his opinions. And I'm like, whoa, what is that? And also he just felt safe and sweet and shy at the same time. Like he was quiet and he was hard to get to know. And so I liked that challenge of it. One of the, I told him very early on um, after getting to know him as we were getting to know each other, I just, I said, I have to tell you this. And, um, and so he was like the first person I intentionally kind of told after conveying that to my Bible study leader and God's just protected me, Mary. I've never been wounded. Like I'm so deserved, like awful things. People that say these awful things to me because yeah, I deserve it. And God's just been protecting my heart. It's just like, it's so kind. So yeah. How long did you date and when did you get married? How old were you? He was, I had just turned 25 and he was 24 when we got married. And so we've been married for 20 years. Yeah. And do you have people, little people? We have three kids. Yes. Two boys and a girl, 14, 13, and 10. Awesome. And so when you got pregnant, how did that affect you mourning what happened in the past or did it, or did it remind you of that time or how did, how did God use that to work on healing for you? You know, it's interesting. So even though I had told Justin, I wasn't healed, even though I think part of being healed is the confession. And I think not always, I think sometimes we are asked as part of our healing to confess that to other people. I know in some circumstances, maybe it's just something you talk to God about. But for me, I really needed to kind of part of my healing has been other people have been involved. So I wasn't healed. Like, and so with the kids, when they came along, one, two, three, I was still carrying this weight. I was still carrying this self-contempt, this shame, this regret, this just total just hatred of myself for having done that. But I didn't know it. And Justin could see just that, well, it came out in other ways. It came out in other ways where like it came out in the bedroom where I'm like, I just, I would never, I did not admit this to him for so long, but I just didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. It just wasn't something that was very fun. I didn't feel free. And he was in his loving way, just like, our husbands, they are people who are close to us want so much to help us, right? There's only so much they can do. And sometimes as people close to us are the last people that we will receive. For me, I won't, anyway, all the goodness that Justin sometimes will offer me, I'm, sometimes I I'm just think that's the worst thing he could have <laughs> ever, <laughs> the worst idea ever. Yes. But um, so about six years ago, finally I relented. Justin was in this amazing men's group where men were just being vulnerable and raw. And he'd come and tell me these things like just like, how did they like just in the setting of talking about pornography and just not hiding, just not willing to hide. And so he was in this this community where he was really being loved and being challenged by what it looks like to be open and authentic. And he wanted this for me. And so he was just asking and offering the opportunity for me to get prayer, for someone to pray over me, to like deal with this stuff. There's something going on in my heart. 
And I still was admitting, like, I'm fine. I'm good. I don't know what you're talking about. Finally, I said, okay. And so this is when the kids went to bed early. Everyone's in bed like at 7 or 7.30. That was like the magic days. And um, <laughs> yeah, The older right? days, yes. <laughs> oh, and uh, so they're tucked in bed. It's like a summer night. And I let... I agreed to let Justin's Bible study leader and his wife come over and pray for me. They knock on the door. I open it. But not only were they there, there's other random couple I've never met were behind them. I'm like, oh. who, are, who are these people? <laughs> it's already bad enough. And why are they there? And uh, oh, so they were out to Justin's Bible study. This uh, leader and his wife were out to dinner with this other couple. And they're amazing with people of prayer. And they just felt compelled to ask them to come along. <laughs> so they were invited. These strangers are invited into my house. Come on in. It can't get any worse, I guess. So I, <laughs> I brought this chair, this stiff back chair into the, into the living room, planted myself in the middle. I'm like, let's do this. Let's get this over with. And um, you can see I just, you know, love it. Love this loving this whole thing. They just came and... The woman who I'd never met before, who's now, she's such a part, she's the part beginning of my story. Her name is Nikki. She comes and she prays in a way that I'd never experienced before that, where she is listening to Jesus, his heart, and asking me, inviting me to listen to what he says and where he is. And all of a sudden I'm back there in that orchard. And that and I hadn't been there. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that orchard since I since you know high school. It's like a place I went to go visit my parents, but it wasn't symbolic. It wasn't like anything special other than anything than trees and grass. And suddenly I'm on the ground in the orchard and I'm this girl and it's dark and it's night and the trees are bare and Jesus is sitting on the ground with his knees bent and he's just looking and he is crying. And I realized that it's just their tears of love. And he brought me back and he just wanted, so I don't remember now what words he said, but it's the beginning of all my healing is that picture of him underneath the tree with me when I made that choice to have the abortion. It's like I hadn't even done it yet, but he knew I was going to have it. And he loved me. He just loved me. He wanted me to know that he's always been there. He's always loved me through it all. And so that was the beginning of me uh, seeing kind of really what I had done, realizing. And that's what frightens me the most, not frightens me, but the, what I have to turn over again and again. It's like, it's not the abortion that I did that I'm most ashamed of. It's the pride that resulted in it that is still in me that is still there that it, well I will continue to do things just as awful as this it just if I uh, don't continue to surrender and remember who I am without Jesus taking me to some other changing me to be a who he really sees me to be right you know my story too and and so much of my healing has come at the hands of other people praying for me it's such a powerful thing and i think like you sitting in the living room saying let's get this over with i think a lot of us have those same fears like i don't want a random stranger praying for me but some of my most significant healing has come from random strangers praying for me and just you know helping me to see jesus in the midst of some of those darker times so that that's pretty amazing. Now, I know a little bit more about your story is that you didn't 
tell your parents until a lot later. So how did that part of your story unfold and how has that been dealing with all of the aftermath of that? So even after I'd had those wonderful people pray for me around that same, that was kind of was something, again, another breaking open point where I just didn't want, I just wanted to keep going. I got another taste Mm -hmm. of, of Jesus and I wanted more. And so Justin and I have been leading a couples group and I realized that I just, I wanted to kind of go deeper. And so I, we, we broke up the group. So it was just the women and I just met with them and I was going through this, this time of finally just being really vulnerable and going deep with women. And I started to write and I started to kind of, and I started to lead my own group and bring women in. I wanted just to be no rules. Let's let the Holy Spirit just take over. I don't want... Structure is beautiful, but there's also, you know, there's sometimes you just don't get to the good stuff of letting God lead. And so I started to do that and I started to write. And so that turned into me um, writing on a blog. And one of those first posts was me sharing that story (laughs) and my poor sister seeing it and calling my mom. Ah, (laughs) And... That is not, that is Mary, that is not how we want people to find out about our stuff, right? And just to be really honest with you here, this is like, my kids don't know yet. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's all over. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's like, so anyway, I'm sure I'll be writing about that after. I. But it's like, oh, wow, God help me. How do I continue to be open because there, I I don't want him. I don't want it to be an accident the way that he finds out. But my poor mother, uh, of course, it was hard for her. She, um, it was really hard on us. She couldn't speak to me for a while. My dad could. He was kind of the the person that would translate for both of us, and he would get. He'd be the one who answered the phone. It um, it was probably just a little bit more than a year, and. Uh, and it was so interesting. So the first time where I, it was like the next year where I had a face-to-face conversation with her to talk to her about, it's the first time she could look me in the face and talk about kind of what I had done and the way she had heard about it. And she said, I forgive you. And I was so surprised by my reaction to those words hmm. that she said, because part of me was so hurt by the fact that the reason why, and we, I've, we've talked about this, so I, that's not mind sharing this with you. Like, I love having that relationship with her now because I've been able to share with her how it was so hurtful to me. Like, one of the reasons why I kept it silent, like, I didn't know that I, that it was a safe place to go to. I didn't know that I could tell her. And when I did finally tell her, and she, it's so confusing. And maybe she would have spoken to me if I told her to her face and it would have been less hurtful than a blog. You know, it's so messy relationships. But at the same time, it's really, right, we learned from the way we were parented and we want to do things a little differently. And I'm just, how it's affected me is I'm just trying, we're trying to be open with our kids. We're just trying to just be, Dustin and I are just trying to talk about sex, talk about things, let them know it's okay to make mistakes, know that we'll love them no matter what, you know, all that stuff that we do as parents. So yeah, but I don't recommend (laughs) having a blog be the first way that people hear about all your secrets. (laughs) Yes, probably true. So what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's carrying 
a very heavy secret, like the one that you carried? I think the first thing that people need to know when they're carrying a, a secret is that that it's something that Jesus wants to hold with you, that it's not this burden that you, because in these secrets, you just feel so alone in them. We just feel absolutely by ourselves, completely isolated. We've convinced ourselves that we've been listening to the lies of the enemy whispering to us and like, you know, you can't tell anyone. This is better for no one to know, you know, what could happen if they knew. And it's just that you were just so loved right now. You were loved, but whether you did that thing or not, or whatever happened to you or what was done to you, nothing can change. And that's just so interesting. Like people tell us that, Mary, and like they're just words. So I think it's just like, like people can hear this now. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, we always hear that. Jesus loves you, whatever. But it's just like, we need to, for me, it's just like, just hang out with him, listen to him, have an encounter, like desire an encounter with him, desire to hear him because he wants to tell you what is true and how the secret is not yours to carry alone. Yeah, that's good. I, You know, it's Jesus is always that answer. <laughs> and his love is the important thing that helps us to face some of those things that we've locked behind closed doors and there's a lot of freedom that comes when we we give Jesus the key to those doors. And he already knew it already. Like, it's not like it's locked to him. But when we let it out, it's like so freeing. And then we've got like the fellowship that comes from talking with other broken people. Because otherwise, we're just going to be a bunch of, you know, robots saying robot Christian words. And yeah, <laughs> and we're yeah. never going to get any deeper. We're just going to play a game or play a role and we'll never scratch a surface of what it means to be loved by him. Yeah. Yeah. So in the past year, um, how has God restoried you? How has he given you a new story in the past 12 months or so? The last 12 months, I think I'm realizing how much that pride is still there for the first. So Justin and I, started a, a nonprofit a few years ago and we started writing together and we're, we're both writing books and we're doing things. And I recently just went through a book launch for the first time and I was just torturing myself. Like I would, I would go to bed at night and I'd open Facebook mm-hmm. and I would just be looking constantly at what everyone else was doing. And I was like, I know it's not good for my heart. And I know that what I did with God and like what we created together was like just what I was supposed to do. And like, so I was just filled with envy. I was just filled with distraction. I was just all he, he had, God had given me this beautiful thing to do with him and kind of carry this book forth and do whatever he wants to do with it. And rather than appreciating the beauty of that, I just started to get all, it was just distracted by all the other things that I decided that were more important. And so that was something that just happened two days ago. (laughs) (laughs) We're constantly being restoried. (laughs) Yes. Constantly being restoried. But just like, just when it's about, when the published, when it's about numbers, when it's about just that kind of stuff and the success of things. It just is, it's going to break your heart. It's just going to, and I'm, so my heart was broken mm-hmm. <laughs> and I needed it to be broken. Yeah. I needed it to be broken to be free again of, of all that, of the trappings of this world that make me care about what other people think about me more than what Jesus thinks. And so he is restoring me by, continuing to remind me and draw me to him. Just, I just 
Unfortunately, I have to keep falling on my face for him to pick me back up again. But um, that's okay. <laughs> Whatever it takes. We keep falling down. Yep, it's just normal. So uh, tell us a little bit about the book and why you wrote it and the kind of the process it took to get it, bring it to print. The book is called Breathing Eden, um, Conversations with God on Light, Fresh Air, and New Things. And it is a book that came about from... I had written, my husband and I had written these email devotionals. I write one called Loop for Women. He writes one called Wire for Men. And we had just, my emails, my devotional for women had just been totally an experiment. Me wondering what would happen if I sent out um, what I believe God wants to say to these women that are on my heart. Like, And so after I had done that for a couple of years, I felt like I would get these emails back from women of, you know, there's something about when people, they're going to share, you'll get these emails and they're sharing a lot more beautiful, vulnerable things than ever anyone would on a blog, right? Those comments in the blog are not really necessarily the real stuff. That's the stuff that would sneak into the emails. And I'm like, there's all these amazing hearts that are broken and raw and these stories that aren't being told. And I just wanted, there's something about me and believing and that I didn't have a voice and I wanted to give other women a voice and I wanted to create um, these snapshots of women's lives. And so I created these fictional stories, these 40 women inspired by real life people, but um, just trying to bring them to life and what God would say to them back. So there are 40 conversations with God, um, with the 40 very different women. It was uh, really cool and hard to write. And um, I'm just, I think it's, it was just really a beautiful time with God of creating it. That's awesome. And I, I find that every time I write a book, I get healed of something. So it's, even if I sell zero copies, at least I got some healing in the middle of it all. <laughs> totally. And then you will take that healing and we'll continue to go go forward and just be ourselves and just loving other people more just because of that experience. So yes. Exactly. So good. Well, I appreciate you being so honest about your story today. And I know that's a hard one to tell, but I just appreciate it. And especially just the fact that you're willing to talk about two days ago. One of the things that bothers me about like people in the pulpit, they'll be like, yes, I struggled with this 18 years ago and now I'm victorious over it. And you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) You mean you don't struggle today? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So. I'm glad to hear you're blessedly normal or you're willing to admit that you're normal like the rest of us. Ugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, this has been uh, Jennifer Camp with me, and uh, do be sure to pick up her book. And I had the privilege of reading and endorsing it as well. So thank you, Jennifer, for coming on the Restory Show today. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord, thank you for Jennifer's story today, and I pray for those who are listening who have a similar story, who may have regrets over decisions they've made in the past or shame that overcomes them like a wet blanket in the summer or even in the winter. Lord, I just thank you that you lift that shame, that there's nothing too big that you can't forgive, and that you are so gracious to us and kind to us, that when you were on the cross, Jesus, you said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And I just thank you that you utter that to us today. Sometimes we make decisions we don't know what we're doing. In retrospect, we regret them and we feel really, really bad. But you still, even as you were being crucified by people, the very people who are crucifying you, you ask that God would forgive them. And so I just thank you for that example of 
clean living and forgiveness and grace and hope and power and that you're strong in our weakness. For those who are struggling today and just feel like they just can't get it together, they keep making the same mistake over and over, that sin that so easily entangles them. Lord, I pray for freedom. I pray you would set people free in the name of Jesus. I pray for Holy Spirit power to be able to say no to the things that we need to say no to and yes to the adventures that you're calling us to. Lord, thank you that obedience is not necessarily about saying no to a bunch of things, but sometimes it's about saying yes to the next opportunity that looks really scary. So I pray for faith. I pray that we would step out into the water like Peter did as as you beckoned him out and as he walked. And even if we sink, Lord, you uh, reach out your hand and you lift us up. So I'm so grateful for that. I pray for life and hope and wellness today and a new perspective. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and all the extended information, please go to marriedmuth.com forward slash restory 2 13 And may you live a brand new story this week.